This is Fam Electric Ghost and we're live on the air with Jay Watson and Kyle Wiltshire. Is that how I say your name? Wiltshire? That's right. Nailed it, Phantom. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So we're gonna we're gonna talk you both are the dead rock star authors and your co-authors, and we're gonna talk about the ups and downs of being co-authors and doing it together is the focus of this episode. And um we do have your your link up. We'll put that up real quick. It's like www.deadrockstarsbook.com. That'll be fully clickable for everybody. Um, we'll pull it up once in a while during the podcast. And uh, I do want to welcome you to the Fam Electric Ghost Podcast. Hope you're doing all right. And um, one of the first things I ever ask anybody is, why do you do what you do and what motivates you? I don't know who wants to go first with that. Jay, why don't you take it, man? Why do I do what we do? Well, um, in particular for this book, we we were uh, really interested in having some fun. We had started it in 2018, and it slowed down a little bit, and we got into 2019, and we written a little bit more. And then we found ourselves with a great amount of time in 2020, and the world was um, kind of a sad place. It was tough at that time. And so uh, we turned our creativity on and, and used that extra time uh, to finish our book. And so the reason why we kind of did this and did it together, it was to give us a little bit of hope and to chase a dream and to get really excited about something that we could look forward to. That's yeah, awesome. I, I, I agree. I mean, so, I think uh, also. What, what, what's your take on Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I think also. Um, Man, Jay and I are just, we're just big nerds. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we always thought we could do this. We always thought we could, you know, tell a story, you know, maybe better than some of the things that we have watched on television or movies, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and so we just decided to give it a shot and try. And uh, it was, it was definitely a dream that, I mean, just myself, I didn't know if we'd ever finish it. I didn't know if we'd ever get to the, the finish line. I didn't know if we'd ever find somebody to publish it. You know, I didn't know any of that stuff. Um, and so I was maybe kind of skeptical, but man, the more we got into it, the deeper we got into it, uh, the more excited I got about it, the more excited we got about our collaboration, our ability to, you know, to work together, uh, to create something that we feel like, you know, in the, when it's all said and done, it's pretty good. You know, everyone thinks their own baby's cute. Right. Um, but we've, we feel like we've had enough positive feedback from, from folks who've read it that said, yeah, this is, this is a great story. You guys did an awesome job. And so, yeah, we wanted to have fun. We wanted to chase a dream and we wanted to just see if we could contribute something artistically in the world that is worth something. I mean, this is not like, you know, high art or anything. Um, but it's man, it's, it's something that we really enjoy. We enjoy doing it and we're really proud of it. We're excited to get it in people's hands and, and let them have a chance to read it. So in terms of writing the story together, did one of you or both of you come up with this idea to have um, dead rock stars as like secret agents? I mean, who, who had the idea? Kyle and I, Kyle and I uh, used to talk uh, driving to work every day. So in the morning before work, there's that 20 minute drive or 30 minute drive or whatever. We would use that time to talk about really important stuff. Like what movie have we just seen? What TV show <laughs> we just watched? What music are we listening to? And we uh, always kind of did that. And we always ended up kind of uh, picking apart plot holes in certain movies and certain things that we saw. And there's always that famous line, which is, you know, I think we could do it better. And, <laughs> you know, 
nobody really does that. Nobody does it better. It's really hard to write a story. It's really hard to kind of go after it. And among all the things we talk about, on occasion, Kyle and I will have ideas or stories. And so Kyle had this idea for a story. You want to pitch it, Kyle? Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I, don't, I, I remember bits and pieces of how it kind of came together, but ultimately, you know, I was thinking, I want to, you know, what, what if we could tell a story about characters that people already know, you know, so we're not having to introduce anybody to, you know, a completely unknown universe. Um, and what if we could, you know, talk about, you know, something that, that, you know, could potentially be real. What if this could, you know, be real? Um, and so just the idea came together in my mind and I pitched it to Jay. I said, Jay, uh, what if what if we told a story about, you know, all these all these famous dead rock stars, Elvis Presley, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain. What if they actually didn't die? What if they faked their deaths to become secret agents and they've been secretly protecting the world for decades? And so that was kind of the initial pitch, you know, and I remember Jay paused and my heart kind of sank. I, oh, man, that's a bad idea. It's stupid. And, uh, and no, so I was, just, I was, I was literally blown away with it. I said, Kyle, that's not <laughs> a million dollar idea. That's a billion dollar universe. That is amazing. Let's, <laughs> let's do this. Let's go. And of course that was, I don't know. I don't know what year that was, but it wasn't 2018. Mm -hmm. I think it was 18. Yeah. Really? I don't think it was, okay. if it, if it wasn't 18, it was 17. Yeah, Cause we yeah. didn't, it was not long after I told you that idea that we actually did it. Yeah. And, uh, Kyle has really great ideas. Kyle doesn't move quickly on <laughs> ideas. Uh, not, not you know. physically, not, not idea wise. I never <laughs> move quickly. I'm slow <laughs> as a sloth. <laughs> and I remember, I don't know why, I guess I had an itch, but I just said, Hey man, let's do this. Let's, we didn't know how to write a movie. We didn't know how to make a movie. So we wrote a book and we really didn't even know how to do that. But I just said, let me just start. Let me just try a couple chapters and let's just see if there's anything there. And I'll write, I'll give it to you. If you like it, you write a couple and let's just start. And so we did. And I remember that first meeting, Kyle, we, uh, we kind of sat down together and looked at what we got and, you know, what were your thoughts? And I, I was blown away. Uh, the first chapter, Jay wrote the first chapter. And I mean, that chapter has had the most work of anything yeah. I've ever done in my life, but the, the, the kernel of it, the core of it, of the story is unchanged. You know, is a word here, a word there, but but from what happened, the first word to the last word of the chapter, it's basically unchanged apart from minutia details. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just blown away. I thought it was so good, and I was so excited uh, that I I couldn't wait to to jump in and and you know contribute to this thing. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was really exciting. I loved it from the start. So I guess my as a question question I had about like Elvis is like there's different versions of Elvis, right? So is it the like Las Vegas Elvis? Is it the black leather Elvis? Or what which version of Elvis is your Elvis? Well, it's it's awesome because it's an Elvis you've never met before. It's a 60-year-old Elvis. So our, our book is set in 1999. Um, and so it it, you know, we started thinking about you know how viable is someone like physically in their peak condition, you know, and and you know we've talked about this lately, but man, you see Tom Cruise, that guy's 60 years old. He's still riding motorcycles off mountains. You know, the dude's amazing. So Tom Cruise can do that. Elvis Presley could do it, you know? Uh, so he is, he's a version of Elvis Presley that you've never seen before, but he's still got that, you know, that, that core uh, showman and artist that he's always been. 
uh, he's just now saving the world instead of uh, cranking out hit singles That's <laughs> and eating jelly donuts. <laughs> <laughs> but the cut down on the jelly donuts and the, in the, in for the sure. Bar <laughs> yeah, for but, sure. Um, a question about in terms of like the spy type of motivation, is it like a man from uncle or a 007 or something else? Kind of like, like, like when you think about spies, 007 comes up the most and the media people who are older, maybe get into, you know, man from uncle or other, you know, the saint or something, but like what kind of a spy kind of vibe is it? The saint. That's a good pull right there. Yeah. That's uh, a good pull. It's our boy Val Kilmer. I think you I think you should think about it a little differently than 007. 007 takes it seriously, takes itself seriously with a wink. Particularly uh Daniel Craig's version is a lot more serious. Yeah. But uh, uh our 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 secret agent world is a little bit more like men in black, a little bit more like uh the Kingsman. It's a little bit more just yeah, just fun. He's just silly fun. fun. Maybe like a Roger Moore. <laughs> well, hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah, but by Kingsman maybe yeah, because a lot of people know that. Yeah, the it's serious, but it's funny, and it's got the diff- yeah. So you, so you're, you're, you're still coming from. It's not like a total black comedy. You've got, no. you've got serious structure to the 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 real. It's not just like you know, like a comedy show, right? No, it's, there's it's, definitely there's ahead, definitely Kyle. humor. Yeah, there's definitely humor, uh, but it's not slapstick. You know, necessarily, it's not a, you know, it's 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 not that type of thing. And what's kind of cool is. I think it is, you know, kind of a classic spy story in the sense of, you know, their gadgets and there's tech. But um, these guys are uh, kind of on the, uh, you know, in 1999, we're kind of on the brink of a change in society where everything was moving toward technology, you know. And so that's one of the one of the plot points in our story is that Elvis particularly comes to the place of realization that, you know, they're not equipped for what's happening and they need someone on the team who can help them with technology. And so the character we created, a guy named Cole Denton, uh, he's actually the protagonist of the story. He's the one that you see his eyes through. And he's the one to come in and help them with technology to help them get into the 21st century um, from the past. So they definitely have like classic traditional spycraft, you know, type tools and gadgets, uh, but they're looking to get into the new, the new millennium. Uh, at, at the at the turn of the millennium, so pretty cool. So, when you wrote this book, a lot of times authors today are are thinking of like trilogy or even longer forms. Is this like a one shot, or is it part of a, an idea that you would have multiple novels within like a trilogy or longer, um, you know, type of series? Yeah, we don't want this to be just one. We we really would like to do a trilogy, you know. Jay's fond of saying, man, we're we're 80s kids, you know. We came 80s, up, baby. That's right. We came up in the classic era of the 80s when you know you needed a good a good trilogy. Of course, the 80s actually is when you get like 17 Jason yeah. movies and you know Rocky whole, Four. <laughs> Rocky what were they on like Rocky Nine now? Yeah. You know? I remember Rocky Four. I don't know what year Kyle, what year was Rocky Four? 1985. So in 1985, I remember going over to somebody's house because they had a home box office and we ordered it on pay-per-view and we watched it on their cable. And it was the coolest thing that I'd ever seen. Like you could just like you called you called on the telephone, you ordered it. And then there it was on your TV. Remember Ivan Drago and <laughs> yeah. all his 20 inch glory. That guy was 
huge. He was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so we definitely envision it being a trilogy. So that kind uh, of thing. We'd like to. We like to keep it a trilogy. We don't really, we don't want to be one of those stories that gets to you know, part eleven. Eleven, yeah. You you have a definite end. <clears throat> you don't want like the we never ending end, story. Their life. Yeah, we have an end, but it's also a universe. I mean, the the thing that we've kind of laid out uh, could go on in any kind of different direction, either in graphic novels or in cartoons or in movies or however direction. Just who, whoever wanted to take it in whatever direction, because. Our story really starts in 1865. Uh, Abraham Lincoln started the Secret Service in 1865. That's true. But in our story, in our alternative history fiction, he faked his death and he created the DRS to be a secret agency that, that, saves, that saves and protects the world and does things that no one else can do. His life was more valuable dead than it was alive to the country. And so every so many generations, every so many decades, another president would fake his death and give his life to be able to serve and lead the DRS. In the 1950s, um, a seismic culture shift happened to where the president of the United States was no longer the most influential person in the world. It was rock stars. And so from 1955 up until our story, um, rock stars have been faking their deaths to uh, help run this organization to help protect the world. And so it, it could go in lots of different directions, lots of different years, lots of different decades, all the different stories. And you imagine it, we've been, if yeah. you imagine it, we've been pitched it. Someone just the other day was like, hey, man, you ought to do wrestlers. You know, all, wrestlers. all these, the, and I was like, yeah, the Dead Wrestlers Federation. That would be fun. You know, <laughs> so there's, there's any any possible route we could go with it. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to cut you off, though. No, it's interesting today because like, in, you know, I'm a child in the 70s and rock was a big, you know, like Hendrix and Zeppelin and the Doors. But the, today's generation is really not into rock. So when you wrote your book, did you, is it geared toward, it, you know, the new music audience doesn't really like rock as the, as the, as the primary genre anymore. So is this book geared toward maybe like a person like me from the 70s generation? that would consider rock to be still like the, the valid form. Yeah, man, I, I think, I think you would definitely enjoy it. Uh, our, we wanted to, to write it in such a way that it was um, you know, attractive to, you know, uh, younger, younger readers, as well as, you know, guys who, you know, are like us from, from, you know, born in the seventies, raised in the eighties and, and, and older, uh, a lot of nineties uh, nostalgia in our book as well. Like I said, it's set in 1999. So, I mean, we really was trying, we were trying to hit audiences that uh, would find it interesting, find it funny, would get the references, all the pop culture in there. Um, and there are other genres of music that are represented in the, the dead rock stars team um, that aren't necessarily from the rock and roll genre. Uh, so, you know, you can think about the nineties and maybe some of the people who tragically passed away in the nineties. What if they did not What if they joined this team, um, uh, outside of the genre of rock? So yeah, we, we tried to, we tried to reach a bunch of, bunch of audiences. Yeah. We use the term rock star a little bit like a, like a spirit animal, like the essence of oh, rock yeah. star, what it it's means not to, pure, not pure. <laughs> no, it's not a literal, it's pure. not a literal sense as much as more of the, uh, you know, I think today though, a lot of people will call others rock stars they'll say you know well that's a rock star of industry or that's a whatever and kind of use it in that way in fact our story kind of 
takes that shift a little bit in 1999 where there's another seismic culture shift. Rock stars are not the most influ influential people in the world. Tech stars are. And so the Steve Jobs and the Bill Gates and those folks are the ones that are the most influential people in the world. And so we created a character. Uh, Kyle, you want to talk about him? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned him already just briefly. Cole Denton, you know, he's uh, our our age in 1999. He's he's uh, 21 years old. So he's an amalgam of us, even though we're not tech stars. Jay's more tech savvy than I am. I like to say that I stopped updating my personal technologic, te technological iOS in 2007. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of a, a dinosaur, uh, but uh, but he is definitely personality wise an amalgam of us. Um, and his his whole thing, how he claimed his claim to fame, how he rose to prominence in our in our story. He created the first dating online dating uh, system. Uh, and we looked it up. We did the research. You know, eHarmony didn't exist yet. You know, the match.com. None of that. None of that was around yet in 1999. So this guy who always sort of was longing for connection, longing for significance, longing for relationship, um, decided to do what he knew best and, and put it online and help people connect, help people, you know, find find their match, so to speak. Uh, his his website's called connection.com, C-O-N-N-E-X-T-I-O-N.com. Uh, very, very nineties title, you know, throw the X in, but um, that was his claim to fame. That's what he did. And you can sort of see his, you know, how he could, how he could be uh, convinced to join a group that called themselves family, you know, it's kind of what he always wanted. He always wanted belonging connection and to make a significant difference in the world. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's sort of a little thumbnail of uh, who Cole Denton is. So is your book, got the movie type of feel from from what i've been listening to it seems like you've got so is it uh, more like uh you know it lends itself to a graphic novel because graphic novels are kind of storyboarded out you know visual you know almost a movie so it seems like it's like having these other types of formats like the graphic novel or anime or film or is that where you'd want to push this type this project further oh yeah Go we've we spent a lot of time daydreaming about this story being a movie we've even gone so far as to go ahead and cast the people who will play the roles and uh, we think it would be just an excellent story i mean we even kind of built a soundtrack into the into the book so we're ready to go if uh, spielberg wants to reach out to us and have a <laughs> spiritual sequel to ready player one uh dead rock stars is what you got buddy come on bring it <laughs> that's right and and you know we have in the promotion of the story you know the book we've, we've done a lot of podcasts and that has been one of the things that's just recurring themes as we've had these conversations with the hosts of, of, of the various shows they're all like man this needs to be a movie let me know when this comes out as a movie i can't wait to see this movie so we've really been encouraged uh by that and and yeah we uh i, I like to say from from our lips to God's ear, you know, let's make it happen. Let's make the almighty, make it happen. <laughs> Would you even see it as like a series on the Netflix or the Amazons or the HBO maxes? <clears throat> Would it lend itself to being more than just a two hour film, but more like a mini series or an extended series? I think it, I think it definitely could, you know, uh, we, uh, we wrote it pretty, uh, pretty succinct and compact. The book's 270 pages. So it's not like a, you know, a gigantic uh, game of Thrones novel or anything like that. Um, 
So it could be told, I think, in a really well told in a two hour movie. Uh, but man, if you wanted to get in the nitty gritty and do a six episode Netflix or, a, you know, a little shorter, 30 minute episode, do an eight episode, you know, something along those lines. I think you definitely could. And obviously that's so prevalent now, you know, man, we would yeah. we would we would not say no if Netflix was like, hey, we want to adapt your story. Yeah, we would we'd go for it. <laughs> And then you can kind of expand on it. And if you already had the idea of a trilogy, that this new format of like the binge type of viewer that wants to see something as a six episode, eight episode, potentially another season could lend itself to your trilogy idea in a different way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It could, it could go in any number of ways. And if you were going to do a graphic novel, I don't know how much of a comic book fan you are. Do you have any particular writers or artists that you'd want to adapt it? Jay, that's oh, your lane, buddy. Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't I don't know. I you know um, I, I I tend to like some of the stuff that Kevin Smith does. He's really interesting. And then uh, you know a, a a Bendis or a uh, 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 you know, Mark Millar is, I think, is that his yeah, name? He's Miller, a guy that's yeah. done a lot of DC stuff. That could be, that could be really good. Um, as far as the artist, I, I don't really know. We, you know, it, it, it could be a lot of fun to, to spend some time drawing, you know, thinking about this isn't giving anything away, but in chapter one, Elvis is dressed up like, you know, fat Elvis at the Hawaii show. And he's, uh, walking around Las Vegas wearing the, the outfit and, Buddy Holly's right there with him looking like Buddy Holly because in Las Vegas, that doesn't stand out. And so it'd be a lot of fun, a lot of visual imagery there to kind of uh, see the characters and what they look like now. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun to see a 60 year old Elvis and what he was, what he looked like, what he was doing. Yeah, there's a lot. Well, being a comic head, you know, I, I was a Kirby Lee guy, Dicko, you know, original Marvel stuff. But, um, you know, today, you know, you get the Miller, Frank Miller's, but he, that's a little dark. Uh, a little dark. You know, George Perez is like Teen Titans, you know, John Romita Jr. You know, he's pretty cool. You know, everybody knows him from Spider-Man, mid-70s, 80s. But, um, you know, McFarlane, like Spawn, you know, that type of art is a totally crazy style. But you know, there's so many different people you could you could, you could could kind of pick if you're a comic head. But, like, the art, probably the writers are probably more significant to kids today more than the artists. I was, I'm kind of a, you know, art-focused. Visual guy. Head. Yeah. Yeah. There's an artist out of Memphis that uh, has done some stuff for DC that uh, I think we'd be interested in talking to specifically because of uh, because of Elvis. His name's not coming oh, to me right now. You think, but well, you need to capture Elvis. Just, yeah, well, I just think you know Memphis people are different, man. They uh, they got a they got a connection to the king. <laughs> and you happened to you met this guy, right? We were at a, you I were met at a, a friend uh, of his. Yeah, I met a friend okay. of his. Yeah. That's cool. So have you been making the, the like convention rounds, like the Comic-Con type of round or just like a book, normal book conventions? We haven't, we haven't stepped into the Comic-Con, you know, uh, ring yet, you know, maybe one day um, we have, we, but we've done some, you know, some kind of private, uh, you know, book signings and, you know, some, some uh, kind of a, a mini book tour that we did in some cities for, with friends and family who graciously, you know, set some really cool uh, shows up for us and had a lot of people come and let us let us share the vision of the book and 
and uh, they they graciously supported us and paid way too much for them and you know bought t-shirts and all the great stuff that they did and so yeah we've 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 done uh six or eight of those uh since the book launched uh as and leading up to the book launch i should say and we're actually going to be uh, in memphis this weekend uh with another one so we're we're really excited to uh to keep that going and uh you know that's one of the one of the main motivations why we're trying to jump on as many podcasts as we can you know get in front of new ears get in front of new eyes get in front of new audiences who you know maybe would fall in love with this book and man you're your platform of music and art, man, that's, that's exactly who we're trying to, you know, connect with, uh, to share about our story, about our book. And, you know, hopefully it can be something they really enjoy and connect with and, you know, uh, find as amusing and as fun as, as we have. So have you thought about like, is it available as an audio book? <clears throat> and if it's not, um, have you thought about who would do the narration or who would actually be the voice actors? Next couple of months, we're going to, uh, launch the, the audio book. Um, we have a lot of people that are really excited about that. The world has changed quite a bit where there are not many physical readers, but there are a bunch of people who read by listening. And especially for people with, uh, you know, if they're, they're slow on their reading or they get frustrated and they can't really retain it, but if they can hear the story and if it's done in such a way, that's amazing. Um, it really has an impact on them and they can, they can kind of remember it. And so our goal is to hopefully do that. Uh, we haven't got too far down the road as far as uh, who's going to voice it, but it'd be, it'd be a lot of fun to do some voices. It'd be a lot of fun to go from Lennon to Jimi Hendrix to Jerry Garcia to Elvis to, you know, all over the place. Would you have a yeah, sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Phantom. Uh, we have a few options uh, with our publisher. They laid out a few options. They said, you can, you know, you can, you can voice it yourself. You can find people to voice it, you know, uh, or they, they said AI has gotten so good that they can actually read it for you. And it sounds pretty good. So we've got some decisions to make uh, with that. And if we had, we had the time, I think Jay and I would love to, would love to, to read it, but man, Oh, you talk about exhausting. <laughs> that would be really hard, uh, but it'd be fun. It'd be fun to do that. Yeah, I was kind of asking because I was like, there's different like authors I've talked to where some are like totally against reading their own work. They'd rather have professional voice actors, but they do want to be involved in like the art direction. So I was just wondering like where where you on that are on that kind of perspective. Would you kind of trust a, an art director to do the voice and with with your approval or be like heavily involved? Not maybe not to micromanaging, but it's harder to capture a feel. Oh, have you heard Jay's golden pipes? He's he's got he's got a beautiful, beautiful yeah. radio voice. So a, yeah, a face made for radio, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I you know I think I'd be open to either. Jay, I don't know how you specific you feel about it. I think we're not as excited about the AI part simply because of the, uh, you know, because it's good but it's not great. Yeah, and we uh, got jokes. Not, yeah, we got jokes. Yeah. <laughs> AI yeah, might not be they good with the jokes. That's kind of a human thing. You know, I don't know if AI's got the timing, like a George Carlin timing or a Richard yeah. Pryor timing. If AI doesn't have that, so you know, <laughs> you, yeah. there's only so far you can go with it. So you know, I think that, that you're. It is cool to have if you have a really good voice, like Jay. You have a very good voice, and so that can lend to like the authenticity of it just as a as an opinion as an artist myself that if you've used your voice 
then it kind of puts your stamp on it and you've got such a good radio voice that that might be, you know, pretty cool. If you it could be fun. Maybe we'll, maybe we should take a, every other chapter approach, Kyle. <laughs> oh man. Ooh, I don't know if I could do it. Honestly, I don't know if I could do it. Why? <laughs> I, I, I believe it or not, I've done a little voiceover for a, a thing or two in the past and even the short little voiceover things I've done in the past, it, exhausting. I always exhausted because you have to read it over and over and over again, you know, and have to nail it. It's got to be perfect. And yeah, it was, it's pretty hard. Uh, so I don't know. It, I could be convinced probably. And I can't remember what they said about, you know, if we do it, we, we keep the rights or something. I don't remember how, how yeah. that, you know, there was some type of a rights yeah. issue of who, who gets control of it, you know, depending on who does it, we can't afford to pay anybody. So, <laughs> so yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe we're the cheapest route. So it may be us. <laughs> you might be the ones to do it. Yeah. With the control and the rights is like, that's another thing with authors in terms of like your film rights, your merchandising rights. So I don't know what your deal with your publisher, how, how that works. Maybe you can talk about like your book and how, how you published. Did you go like a self-publishing or with an independent small indie publisher? Like, do you want to talk to that? Yeah, go ahead, Jay. Um, we went with a, we went with really whoever would publish us, to be honest. We had one goal and it was, uh, let's get published. published. We had two goals actually yeah. get published. And the other one was Kyle break even. Yeah. We, we at least break, break even. even. We didn't want to lose any money. And <laughs> so, uh, we spent a couple years kind of chasing after publishers and agents and different things like that. But, uh, we kind of stumbled into a relationship friendship with a guy who knew a guy who, uh, ran a, uh, boutique publisher called Morgan James. Morgan James does about 200 books a year. So they're a little smaller, but that's still a lot of books and they're moving stuff. And, and out those 200, they do only like 12 or 15, uh, fiction works of works of, uh, pieces of art, uh, book books. And, um, so we talked with them and they got excited about the premise and asked us to, to kind of turn in stuff. And, uh, they have a, they had a meeting where every month, all of the, their board that made decisions on that, it was like 12 of them got together and they kind of talk over the book, talk over the proposal that we sent them. And then, make a decision of whether or not they want to take another step forward. And they liked the premise enough. They wanted to take another step forward and they got a hold of some AI technology. That's a little creepy, but also equally awesome where they ran our novel through the AI and they get uh, spit it back out, out to us, a 20 page report on whether or not that uh, they thought the book was going to be uh, worthy to be published. And uh, thankfully um, Skynet uh, thought wonderful of it and uh, we got to publish a book. And so, <laughs> Morgan James has been terrific. So the, because you were able to get like a publisher, did that get you um, like, uh, you know, the impetus to actually complete the book? Like in terms of where was the book fully completed when you engaged them or were you like part way there? We had a, we had a first draft written at that point. Uh, but, but it was, you know, it was just a first draft and we had received some feedback and some, uh, some comments from some folks to, you know, encourage us how to kind of clean it up and shape it a little better. So uh, we we spent some considerable time going back through the entire book, uh, rewriting, you know, editing along the way. And uh, and it, it was uh, it, it was really helpful and I think really beneficial to help you know, help us you know, create a better book. And one of the cool things about Morgan James is um, 
the whole premise of their of their business uh, when it comes to, to books is that they want the authors to be able to publish the book that they desire to publish within within framework, obviously. Um, but the, the, the CEO of, of the of the company, David Hancock, uh, he he turned in a, a book with a different publisher at one point. And when he finally held it in his hands, he hated the cover and the inside. You know, the, everything was different. You know, editors got a hold of it and tore it up and changed it to where he felt like this wasn't my book. This wasn't what I published. And it kind of irked him, you know? And so he created this company to help authors, you know, produce the books that they want to produce. And so that's what we got to do, man. We got to publish the, the very book that, that we, that we wrote. Now it's been professionally edited multiple times. Uh, It's, you know, it's, it's been worked over by a fine tooth comb Uh, and and still, you know, there's still a couple of typos. Three, right? We have three. Yeah. Uh, I think, there, yeah, there's probably three, maybe more, but you know, you find them, find it, you know, tell us online and if you find something new, you know, let us nah, know. <laughs> I'm at the point now where I'm like, don't tell us, just enjoy it. Just, just yeah. don't tell us. For sure. But yeah. So like, le- yeah. Do you have any lessons learned from like the experience of editing? I've talked to authors where sometimes they brought books to publishers and they did a first edit or second edit and they still felt like maybe they needed to have, like another editor look at it. And so I don't know from your experience, um, what's your opinion on, you know, that type of, uh, you know, editing or overall quality control of your, of your work. A content. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. I'm sorry. A content editor. uh, I didn't really understand what that was and was a little uncertain. I was like, I I thought he was just going to correct our grammar, but uh, the reality was he was, working on continuity. He was working on story uh, explanation. When we explained something to make sure it made sense, our original manuscript was around a hundred thousand words and he carved it down to 92,000 words. And I don't think Kyle or myself could really distinguish what he had done per se. The story wasn't different. It was just a little smoother, a little bit more elegant. And so you absolutely need a content editor. You absolutely need someone to protect you from yourself. I think uh, mm-hmm. it's one of the beautiful things about Kyle and I working together is we're, we're able to look into each other's blind spots and make the product better because of each other and because of our content editor. Yeah. That's another. Have... Man, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just jumping <laughs> in. Apologies. No. I, and then, you know, to have as many sets of eyes on it as possible. I mean, Jay's dad, I think read it for us twice. He's a great grammarian and, you know, he's, and he's got a great mind for story. So he read it a couple of times, you know, to sort of help us along the way. I, you know, I, I don't, I wouldn't want someone meddling, you know, so to speak, but I'd love having more sets of eyes on the story to say, Hey, have you, does this, is this how you want to say this? You know, maybe this doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. Maybe there's some some things you can clean up here or there. You know, I, I feel like as many people as you can that are that are for you, you know, that are with you, that are on your team to help you craft the story. I, I feel like that's I think I'd say as many people as you can, you know, to read it and help you. Um, and of course, obviously, to find the typos and the, the grammatical errors and things of that nature, I think are obviously super important. Do you think being co-authors helps you stay um, tighter on your vision than if you were just a one author being influenced by an editorial board? Yeah, I'd say so for sure. I, I definitely want to hear what Jay has to say, but I, w- I would say, I, I think, uh, you know, 
there were there were things that maybe I would have done if it were just me by myself differently. And let me tell you, it would have been a much longer book. I am I am way wordier. You know, <laughs> why say something in 10 words when you can say it in 30? You know, like that's kind of you know my motto. <laughs> um, and Jay's a lot more succinct. He's a lot more his 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 writing is a lot more you know, uh, to the point and clear. And so sometimes I have to, I have to, it's not clear what I'm trying to say. And so Jay is much stronger at that. So he helped me, you know, speak with more brevity and clarity. Um, at the same time, there's other things that I'm, you know, I'm maybe better at like, you know, continuity things like, you know, Hey man, in chapter four, we said it was like this and here we are in chapter 19. And we said, it's like this, we got to fix that. You know, those are some of my areas of strength. Uh, but I think we definitely, and that's just the beauty of our, our relationship and friendship is we really are complementary parts in many ways in both personality and in gift set. But yeah, Jay, I'd love to, I'd love to hear what, what you say. I think one person, if they have a vision for something, if they're not careful, they can get a little myopic, you know, they could really focus in on something and before they realize it, they're off course. And with two people, I found that Kyle and I both did a really good job sticking to the purity of our vision. Um, we de- never wanted anything to be too heavy. We wanted it to be a light story and fun, but at the same time, we're dealing with some heavy content. You know, the origin, the actual reality of these these characters, um, sad circumstances, and so some of them, effectively in our in our universe, they're they're cleaned up, um, but we deal with uh, you know twelve step meetings and things like that. We talk about kind of the road to recovery and those things in our book. And so we wanted to do that, but because we were both able to kind of keep it on the rails, it is a lighter version of that than maybe what could have happened. It could have gotten a little um, off course. You know, we, we wanted men in black. We wanted Kingsman. Mm -hmm. We did not want, you know, uh, something Matt Damon would make that was, uh, you know, uh, hand to hand, heavy, close (laughs) combat, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I guess I guess the concern. Well, if you think about it, like if if you look at like the Beatles, you look at Lennon McCartney, like the Lennon McCartney songs, and then you see Lennon songs by himself, and you know uh, Paul songs by himself. There's something about the Lennon McCartney relationship when they wrote the songs. They complemented each other, and they came out with something that was greater than the sum of the parts, right? So it's like when you're working as with a collaborator. That's like at that kind of equal weight. I think that it, ca- it creates a different type of art, in my opinion, from what I've seen. You know, t- different forms of art, but like I have not really seen a lot of co-authors in writing. So it's kind of like a, a, a different scenario. Had did you have people that you looked up to that had done work as co-authors, or you, that didn't even come into the picture? Well- what, what we did notice is there's been an uptick in co-directors as of late. I mean, Kyle and I are big Coen Brothers fans. And then more recently, there are more teams that have kind of come together. Uh, uh, Weiss and Benoit for Game of Thrones. Um, uh, the the uh, Lord, Lord Miller. Miller. Um, yeah. Some of those groups, they've done some really, really good stuff lately. And so um, we kind of thought, why not? And I'm really glad we did because, one – this was Kyle's original story and he let me be a part of it. And two, I think we made something really fun together. And uh, three, I think we grew in our friendship. Like we grew uh, a lot more trusting of each other. A lot more, we were trusting before, but I mean, like we've, we've, we've logged hours, you know, we've logged time in, we've logged years in. And so um, 
I know him well, he knows me well, and and that is something you can't take away either. And so because of all that, I think we made a much stronger uh, story. Yeah, I like to say two heads are better than one, you know, uh, and, and, and I'm sure that there's, you know, different, you know, potholes or things that, that could be that could be hard to, to navigate or traverse, you know, in a, in a co-writing partnership. And, you know, we've only done one, you know, two might be, might be really, it's like kids, you know, your first one's great. Your second one's like, oh, that one was so hard. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows what the future holds, but we might read some of our own press and get in trouble. Like the first one was a lot of humility and just say, it's our, it's fiction. Let's have fun. This next one may be like, uh, you know, I'm have my lawyer talk to your lawyer, Kyle. (laughs) I I sure hope not. No. When the band breaks up, you know, you don't want to end up like the Eagles where they all hate each other, you know? Yeah. uh, We don't want that. No way. Now we'll but there's something very interesting about the collaboration. You know, like if you're a musician in bands and duos, that's very common. Uh, you know, and there is that, you know, that collaborative effort is greater than the individual effort. And usually when it clicks, it's magical. So did you guys, when you started to first put together your your collaboration, was there some magical moment at the beginning that really told you that you, yeah, you this is it? that we're doing, we got something, we really have something that we're synced in, that this is working. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of, you know, uh, earlier when I was talking about those first four chapters, you know, someone might read the book and go, yeah, I don't think the first four chapters are that great, but something about, you know, what Jay wrote in the first two chapters, the, the, the stage that he set and how I picked up in chapter three and four and kind of carried the ball into the next, you know, into, into continuing the story. I think it started from from the start, honestly, you know, uh, that it, the click was there. And it, it was, you know, it's one of those things where we had, again, we had never done this. And, you know, we've said this a lot that we didn't know what we didn't know, you know. And mm-hmm. so we just we just were going for it. And, you know, our collective goal was, you know, let's let's write a great story. Uh, you know, it, does it serve the story? Then let's keep it in. Does it not serve the story? Let's take it out. And I really worried. um uh, you know, is uh, when people read this, are they going to be able to tell? Yeah, this was clearly written by two different people. And as I've talked to folks, you know, along the way in these last couple of months, I'm like, no, I can't tell at all. And I think that's because of the way our process was, where Jay would write a chapter, and I would and I would read it, and I would tweak it, and make you know make edits. And I remember our original doc. I can probably go back and find several of these docs where you know he'd send me the the manuscript, and I'd write something new, and it'd be highlighted in yellow, you know. Um, and then if he didn't like it, he'd come back and highlight red. I don't like it, you know, uh, or, you know, things like that. We would just how we'd work together. And, you know, then, you know, we would sit down with chapters sometimes and read them aloud and we would write on the spot. And, you know, and I would use a word. Jay said, now, how about this word? You know, and so change it and read it out loud and think, you know. So, I mean, it, it became so much so that I really believe that we created something together so much so that, you know, I, I don't really know where I begin and where he ends and where he begins and where I end. You know, I mean, I can tell you who wrote the first draft of the chapters, but I, you know, as we worked on it, as we whittled it, you know, to what it became and even David Webb, our editor, as he, you know, his, his influence in it, you know, I can see a couple of words in there like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a David word for sure. You know, but, but the whole thing, it just, it really, I feel very confident and strong that, you know, if it didn't have two names on the cover, you wouldn't know that two people wrote it. You know, so I think it's pretty cool. I would say for me, it was a little bit later in the process. I'm a outwardly confident person, but I'm fairly 
insecure inwardly and as excited as Kyle was about the first two chapters, I don't think I'm a very good writer. I don't, I don't think I'm nearly as good as Kyle is. And so it wasn't until we got through the first third, I would say chapter 12 or chapter 13, where I was like, this is a story and we know where we're going and we know how we're going to do it. And we've already written a third of this. And so for me, that was kind of that moment, those first 12 or 13 chapters where we had something, it was going somewhere. Um, that was the moment where I, I thought this is magic and this is good. Um, because up until then I wasn't very confident in myself. That, that's really like a common theme I've dealt with artists that a lot of times like in the process of creating the art, there's like sometimes there's doubt or there's like some limiting uh, beliefs because you're not sure like, am I really, you know, part of this, right? And I've been in bands where people, you know, didn't feel like they're carrying their weight, but they were, right? So you get the bass player thinking, oh, I'm not, I'm not really carrying this song, but it's like, people are like, well, that line is kind of carrying the drummer and the drummer thinks it's carrying the song, but you don't believe it. And so it's, it's not until you actually get the impact of the audience hearing it or you get the feedback. It's like, yeah, that you, you hit it. You hit it. You like, and, and sometimes you don't know you hit it until they start to get the feedback outside the bubble, of the creation bubble. That's yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was, I was just going to kind of tell a funny story. I mean, I, I, I speak as if, you know, like I feel confident that we've written a good book and, and I, I truly am, you know, but uh, a few a few weeks back, uh, we, you know, we're first time authors. We're so excited about everything. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm constantly checking Amazon and Goodreads and, you know, and, and, and you know, Barnes and Noble want to see how the reviews are coming in as people are reading it, you know, see what they're saying. And <laughs> I stumbled upon, you know, our Amazon and someone gave us a two star review and I was crushed. I was like, oh, gosh, that's our first bad review. And I went and I read it. And just the review glowing, was awesome. Glowing, glowing reviews. Review. <laughs> Turns out the person that had written the review just accidentally hit two instead of five when they were doing their review. And, and somehow through, you yeah. know, like friend of friends sort of thing, we figured out who did it. We're like, hey, could you change that for us? <laughs> so they went and changed it. You, you know, so that. yeah. I mean, I mean, it was a paragraph. Yeah. Shoot. It was a paragraph written talking about how wonderful and rich and all the things. Two stars. I'd say there was another moment. Like they were. Yeah, yeah, they just they were paying attention. There was another moment for me that I think was kind of special. Kyle and I got to a point where we had to finish it. We had a deadline and we had to finish it. We had to get it to our content editors so that we could get it to grammar so we could hit the deadline that they were asking us to do and we went away for a weekend and we, we stayed at a, a lake at river house and we were there and we would we, we decided we were going to read through every chapter and and together look at it together and see if there's anything we need to change or anything we needed to move around and i remember us both getting done with the last chapter and thinking both of us like this is really good. Like, I think we've done it. Like, I think we've wrote something that's really good. And it was nervous. It was nerve wracking to kind of get it out in the world. But since that time, we have had strangers that are not re related to us in some way. Talk to us about how much they love the book, how much they love the dialogue, how much fun they had over the weekend reading it because it was a quick read. And that kind of stuff is super encouraging uh, for book two and book three. Yeah, I think it's interesting when you put something out in the world and you start getting that feedback and, you know, it kind of is the validation of the artist. 
because like like it, it, there's a point that where it's all, you know it, it, musicians we can get it right away because we can go on stage and know if something's gonna work or a comic you know they can know if their joke's gonna bomb but like an author like it takes you a little time from like the time you're in that creation mode to when you present it to your audience sometimes it's like that there's a lot of time between that that process and you actually get the feedback so is is that somewhat frustrating in a world that's very instant gratification that you, it takes like such a length of time as for a writer to get the feedback from the intended audience. Yeah, I think, I think there is a bit of a, uh, anxiety, you know, over what people will think about it. Uh, you know, and, and, and I've thought about that a little bit, you know, with music, man, three and a half, four minutes, you hear, you can hear their, what they've worked on and you can, and you can judge it, you know, in just that amount of time. And it takes hours to read a book. You know, it takes hours to sit down and put the time in, even if even if you're reading it on audio or you're listening or whatever, it still takes hours. Um, it's one of the cool features on our on our book on the back. It says how long it should take to read it. Now, I've never seen that before on a book, you know, uh, I'm like, man, that's a long time, you know, and, and how many people start it and don't and don't finish it. And so, you know, and, and a lot of people can buy the book and will they actually ever read it? Man, if I read every book that I have on my nightstand. You know, man, I, I've read a lot, but 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 I don't read everything that I have, you know. And so there is that kind of that worrisome feeling of, you know, what do people think about it? How, how do people feel about it? For sure. Yeah, I guess the other thing I was thinking about is like, you know, when you have your audience, you know, the appreciation that they actually in an age where people take 30 seconds, 15 seconds, 90 seconds is the, is, you know, the more the kind of engagement time. On, on social media, you're actually engaging somebody for hours, if not days, of their time when they get hooked to your to your to your story. And like as a as a as a writer, like what what kind of level of appreciation do you have for your readers because of that? I mean, a huge level of appreciation. Also, you know, like like I, I mentioned earlier. We, we wrote ourselves into this story because, like I said, we've never done this before. So what, what do you where do you write from? You write from your experience, you know. So in our in our book, when you read about Cole Denton's apartment, you're you're reading about my apartment when I was that age. You know, when you when you, when you read about you know, some of the things that happened, you know, you're so you're kind of getting an insight into who Jay and I are in our lives. Now, sometimes you may not know which is which, you know, but there, mm -hmm. there's a story of one of our characters. Uh, she had Cheeto dust on her on her skirt. And that came from from Jay's wife, like a real a real experience that happened to her, you know. And so there's handprint, little bits. a handprint of Cheetos. <laughs> Make out the fingers. So there's our, our you know, we didn't just write a story and put something out there like we put ourselves into it. Like we wrote ourselves into the story. And so in some ways, you know, I don't want to over dramatize this, you know, too much, but. It is. It does kind of feel like, man. If you don't like our story, man, you don't like us. <laughs> yeah, that's the vulnerability. Is, yeah, that's the, yeah. Thing, the vulnerability of an artist, right? Is you know, it, a lot of people just didn't you know feel that the song that the artist wrote has a piece of them in it, and it usually does. You know, you can try to kind of fake and say, no, it's not really me, but a lot of times, the the aspects of your art are very personal, and it can be taken personal. If, if if you get a bad reaction, like if you get the hater, you know, and they, and they, they can, if you put your heart and soul and your spirit and, and your vulnerability into a piece of work, then somebody trashes it. Like a matter of fact, it's like, Oh, I don't like it. 
Yeah, that doesn't move me. Then you're like, <laughs> but you have to move on. But like, yeah, it's like I yeah. think when you're an artist, you you put yourself out there. It's kind of the the, the badge of honor of being an artist. You, you you do put yourself out there, and and you know you get the good feedback and you get the bad feedback. It's like it's it's all it's all part of the same thing. We the question you asked had to do with just how much do we think about our audience. Uh, we kind of had to thread the needle. I'd say two things. One, I think Kyle and I wanted to write a story that we would like and a story that we would be proud of and a story that made us laugh. And I think sometimes you make your best art when you make something that's true to who you are. Secondly, we're, as Kyle mentioned, we're giant nerds. And so <laughs> stuff like that matters to us. So we did quite a bit of research on these different individual characters so that some other nerd, the audience, is going to read this and go, oh, he knows. He he. They know. They 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 didn't miss it. You know, just little details. And there are Easter eggs sprinkled out all over our story that, you know, if somebody really knows the the artist or they really love them. They're going to catch it. And other people, it's going to be a fun story. And they're going to enjoy it, but you got no clue. So we wrote it on a bunch of different, like a you know, like an levels. onion. It's got layers. Yeah, like a parfait. It's like the, yeah. It's like, like when you play with your words, you know, when you're a poet, you, 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 somebody takes the initial read and doesn't understand the implied intention, right? So you, you can have all these implied intentions that on the face of it, it's deeper than what it seems if you don't put the time in and actually go back and look at those connections and, the and, and you know, like you said, the Easter eggs that you, you tend to, as a writer, you, you'll throw those in because you're trying to get a deeper experience but we live in a world where people kind of maybe don't fully pay attention. <laughs> so, so you, you have a casual reader that would not maybe miss all the Easter eggs, but they get the overall feel. And then you got the heavy reader that, that totally gets it. You know, nerd like us, you know, you know <laughs> understands it. It's like, Oh, I got it. I figured out that, but Oh, it went over my head. Hey, we're we're happy for either type of reader. We we want any any type of reader to to pick it up because we do think that you pick it up, you'll enjoy it. You know, yeah. uh, unless you unless you just don't have anything to do with with pop culture and and nostalgia and you know and, and fun remembrances of the '90s and and music and all those things. And if that's not for you, man, this isn't the book for you. But uh, if you like any of that stuff, I think our book is right up your alley. I think it would really uh, you'd really have a good time reading it. So I like to ask this question, you, you, you know, you can figure out who wants to answer first is, um, what are three things about yourself that you wouldn't, that your uh, readers wouldn't really expect uh, to know about you that you would reveal to them right now? Wow, man. Um... I'll go, I'll go first, Jay, you know, and, and then I'll let you, I'll let you do one. Um... And then you know maybe we can we can bounce back and forth for a few of these. Um, you know, Phantom, uh, Jay and I both you know are we have we're people of faith. Uh, we ha we have deep faith, and uh, that's not something that when you pick the book up, you know, that's not something we put in anyone's face or we're trying to you know we're trying to preach anybody. That that's not at all what what we wanted to do. Um, so I, if you read this book, that's not what you're going to find, you know, as as you read through it. But uh, man, I definitely, you know, uh, I, I'm person of faith you know that's something that's that's super important to me and uh, a reader may not find that in the book but 
but that's part of who I am. It's a big, big part. That's good. I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, something that, uh, the reader may not know. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm striking out a little bit on my three here, fan. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I, I think that um, it's possible that they might not know that uh, in 1997, I was an Elvis impersonator for a time. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. I, and I was there. Yeah, I, I saw it. I witnessed it. Well, you know, you I'm, saw it. So I'm shaking those hips, man. He had it down. <laughs> He was Mr. Campus, 1997. Uh, I would say <laughs> number two for me, that might be a, a, a little bit of a surprise. Um, you know, I really do like all kinds of music. And and in that, uh, I don't mind a little a little uh, pop music, a little uh, boy band on occasion, a little NSYNC will get me going. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, I'm all over the place music-wise from country to, to whatever. And so I, I have a very diverse... Uh, uh, scattering of, of bands and music that I love. My first, uh, my first tape that I ever purchased was Chicago. If that'll give you any indication of where, where things go, it's all over the place. So that, that'd oh. be a, that'd be a, yeah, a tidbit. That's, that's cool. So is that yeah, the think, early Chicago or later uh, Chicago, like the later end? Chicago pop, pop Chicago. Pop uh, Chicago. For just, uh, that's cause I was, that's just how old I was in 19, 80 something, 89, 88. Mm-hmm. I think number two for me uh, would be, and, and, I, and I mentioned this on, on some other, other, sh- other shows we've been on, but uh, I, I'm, man, I'm kind of the stodgy old, old guy, you know, of, of the two of us. Jay's always finding the, the, the cool new cutting edge music. I, man, I like the old stuff. You know, my motto is if it's not 20 years old, it's probably not any good. Um, which is deeply offensive to Jay because his daughter is a, a wonderful singer songwriter, amazing, amazing musician. So uh, she's not included, Jay, in the uh, in, in that. In that you're uh, good. Okay, buddy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, our, our editor said something to us one time that that I, I I had to work really hard not to take offense. But uh, he, I can't remember exactly the content that or the context that he said this. But he was like, uh, you know, because there's so many diverse people in our story. And there's a lot of, you know, people from the 60s and 70s uh, who make it into our story, you know, because those are, you know, sort of the classic 27 club. And, you know, some of these older rock stars that really met tragic ends with substance abuse and things of that nature. You know, so we put we put these people in our story, kind of give them that redemption arc. And, you know, uh, and and he said something along the lines of I think he was wanting us to explain who someone is better. And he said, nobody's going to know all these people. And I was like, I know all these people. <laughs> I knew who all these people were when I was 21 years old as well, just like Cole didn't. That's what it was. He was like, Cole would never know who all these people were, you know, when they when they walk up and meet him or whatever. And I was like, I would have known every single one of them. I'd take offense to that, you know. Yeah. That's because I'm kind of, you know, I'm the old soul, man. I like the old music. I like the, you know. Uh, the stuff from the seventies and eighties and, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. So that maybe if you, if you read it, you wouldn't necessarily uh, know that, that about probably. me. That's part of who I am. Yeah. I would say for me, the third one would be that uh, might be a surprise to uh, some people is that uh, I'm actually pretty scared to put myself out there. I, uh, I do not enjoy uh, the critique. I do not enjoy 
um, the, the fear of the unknown. And this is, even though I may be quick to jump and say, let's do something. I, I on the back end often get pretty scared of what things are going to look like or how they could go or how they could go poorly. And I'm really glad that for us, we didn't let the, the negative thoughts uh, be too intrusive into what we were doing. Mm. That's, that's good. A, I think that's an awesome place to, to kind of express because I've talked to a lot of artists and a lot of artists, you know, do get heavily influenced by, you know, that, you know, a lot of times things stay on the shelf because of that type of response. And, you know, I've met tons of painters go into their room and it's like, where this stuff should be in the galleries. Oh, it's not in the gallery. It's not going to go in the gallery because they just can't deal with that, you know, put it out there. So I, I do, I do think that that's a really powerful thing to be able to feel that and still put it out. So I think that, that, that to me is like, that's, that's the kind of goal of why your book's out here because you're able to, you know, get past that. And that's, that's the hard thing for a lot of people to get past to actually get their work out. So I do compliment you on that, on that drive. Yeah. I'd say the third thing for me, you know, that I'm thinking about it is um, I, I had to come to grips with the fact that I am creative. Now others might say, what are you talking about? Of course you're creative. You know, Jay might say, you know, man, you're, of course you're a creative guy, but I, I struggle with self-confidence when it comes to like creativity you know, um, uh, simply because I, I had this association that creative people are these type that like, you know, uh, they, they they can't tie their shoes because they're so lost in the art of the world. You know, like they're, 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 they, they're always writing stuff on napkins and, you know, they're so inspired always. And the stuff they, they just imbibe and imbue, that's the word I'm looking for, imbue creativity. You can't walk up to them and not go, wow, that guy's just so special. And I'm, man, I'm not impressive. You know, when you're just around me, are you, you know, wearing like, cargo pants right now? I'm not, no, I'm wearing joggers. I have okay. right. joggers today. Um, Kyle has but, some uh, original cargo <laughs> shorts from uh, the first time around. Yeah. 1996. I still got them, but uh, you know, so I, I struggle with the confidence of like, you know, is, is my creativity any good? And I, I'm, you know, I've, I've dabbled in everything. When you said painter, that's what made this thing. Cause I started painting a few years ago, just, you know, just to try. And man, I'm not very good, but man, I sure love it. I sure enjoy doing it and it's fun. And, and that's the thing I had to break that shackle. And I don't think a reader might would know that, um, you know, from just reading our book that kind of had to break that personal shackle of like, you know, Hey, your creativity is as valid as anyone else's, you know, sure. Someone may, may quantify however you can quantify the, the worth or value of art. I don't know. Um, ours is 1895 uh, on Amazon if you want to quantify it. But uh, <laughs> um, but all that to say, you know, who, how you can quantify someone's art, if it's good or bad or whatever, you know, you just you just you do it and, and you, you you believe in it and you love it and you do your very best and uh, and you just Take it as it comes and you hope people find it. Yeah, there it is. Deadrockstarsbook.com. If you want an autographed copy, you can get one there. We'll we'll send one your way. Yeah, I just wanted to again thank you guys for being on the show. It always goes by quicker than we ever think. We hit the hour mark and we brought up your link again. That will be fully clickable. www.deadrockstarsbook.com. And uh, you know, we'll have to worry about remembering that because as soon as we're published uh, on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, any platform that 
you can watch or listen to a podcast, you'll be able to click there and go right to the book. And I'm, I'm assuming that all all the ways to buy the book are you can go start there, right? Yeah, you can get one there, but you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on uh, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. It's it's there online for it to be found. So, yeah, thank you for doing that so much, Phantom. It's really, really cool experience tonight. Well, thank you. I do appreciate every guest on the, on the Family Look to Ghost podcast. I do encourage the audience to do click on the URLs that we provide to get a deeper dive. And you can check out the book there, as we said, and go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere you get books. And uh, I want to thank you guys, guys for being on the show. This will be everywhere tomorrow. We were live on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And thank you for being on the Family Electric Ghost podcast. Thanks for having us. Have a good night.